0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Thanks for being with us on this beautiful day in America. A lot going on this week. The Biden regime is in an uproar, as they should be appointing David Weiss, the very same U.S. attorney who sold out any sense of integrity, to give Hunter Biden a sweetheart deal that would have been unprecedented. Weiss and the Bidens ran into an honest judge, and she blew up what would have been the most amazing immunity deal in American history, a get-out-of-jail card for anything that Hunter chose to do in perpetuity. Federal Judge Mary Ellen Noreka Didn't go for it, especially after Weiss took five years to investigate Hunter's crimes, drug, gun laws, and he forgot to pay his taxes for years. And Weiss let the statute of limitations run out on his most serious charges. And now the Republicans must decide whether they will end the corrupt Biden regime or let Biden's corruption prevail. Speaker McCarthy, in my judgment, should call the Congress back into session immediately, and vote on impeachment, which the American people should demand. The evidence of these crimes, the vast, widespread corruption, the massive cover-ups are already overwhelming and a disgrace to the Marxist Dem Party and Deep State that lied, cheated, and stole to put this impaired, compromised, and crooked puppet president in the Oval Office." A leading Republican wants Biden out of that office that Biden has disgraced. Congressman Greg Stubbe of Florida filed the Articles of Impeachment against Biden for high crimes and misdemeanors. He cites bribery, extortion, obstruction of justice, fraud, and financial involvement in drugs and prostitution. I believe House Speaker Kevin McCarthy should follow Stubbe's lead and the entire conference as well. The Dems and Deep State have politically persecuted President Trump to cover their own vast corruption and outright crimes. What looks like a dying gasp for the Biden regime, the appointment of David Weiss to be special counsel on the Hunter Biden investigation has Hunter's Marxist Dem attorney complaining. At least for appearance's sake, attorney Abby Lowell appeared on Face the Nation and said after a five-year investigation of his client, David Weiss is now using things other than, quote, the facts and the law, in quote, to investigate Hunter.
2: One of the things that Judge Marilyn Ellen Noreka, uh, brought up in court that day was uh, she said the Foreign Agents Registration Act, or FARA, she asked specifically whether that would be um, handled within the scope of this deal. Is your client being investigated for that?
3: Our client has been investigated in a five year long, thorough, painstaking investigation for every transaction that he was involved in. But she included,
2: specifically asked if immunity would cover that.
3: But you asked me whether or not that has been part of the investigation. And after five years, and what we know happened in the grand jury, of course, that had to be part of what the prosecutor has already looked at, as well as every other false allegation made by the right wing media and others, whether it's corruption or Farrah or money laundering. That was part of what this prosecutor office had to have been looking over for five years. I can assure you that five years Mm -hmm. concluded that the only two charges that made sense were two misdemeanors for failing to file like millions of Americans do, and a diverted gun charge for the 11 days that Hunter possessed a gun. Everything else had been thoroughly looked at. So is that possible that they're going to revisit it? Let me answer it one way. If the now special counsel decides not to go by the deal, then it will mean that he or they decided that something other than the facts and the law are coming into play.
1: It's clear, isn't it, that Abby Lowell has fallen to the weight of so much left wing lawyer privilege. Lowell says the reason Hunter Biden's sweetheart deal fell apart was because there was a, quote, fundamental disagreement and the prosecutors are incompetent, end quote.
2: How could there be such a fundamental disagreement on this issue of how broad immunity um, would be for your client? Because that's what I understand it came down to in that transcript from July. It, it did
3: come down to fundamentally that. And then a couple of issues as to what a judge's role could be in the proceedings that the prosecutors wrote the documents for. And how could it happen? I gave you the three possibilities. They wrote the language. They insisted on that language they insisted on two different documents
2: with the understanding that it would be broad immunity with
3: our understanding that it would be broad immunity. And the language, as the judge pointed out, is a very broad phrase. It says encompassing all the facts that were in the document that sets out the transactions. Mm-hmm. So what happened is one of three possibilities. And I again point out that no good defense attorney and, yeah. this, and Mr. Biden had quite a few of them would allow somebody to do a misdemeanor on a Monday thinking that three days later there could be a felony.
2: Are you saying that the government prosecutors are incompetent?
3: I'm saying there's one of three possibilities. And that was one of them, is what you're suggesting. uh, I wouldn't say, I didn't use that word, you did. I said that they changed their decision on the fly, standing up in court. Lowell seems to be mightily upset that the
1: sweetheart deal blew up in their faces, which should have happened long ago. Congressman James Comer, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, the committee investigating the Biden crime family, and the president of the United States, says he's seen enough, he's ready to subpoena... President Biden's personal phone and bank records and says he will start giving out immunity for witnesses to testify. Here is the chairman talking with John Solomon on Just the News. We are ready now to be able to subpoena the personal bank records of the Biden. What we've got now are their shady shell companies. Now we need the personal records because when we show those arrows, when we show that chart that shows China and Romania and and Russia, and the arrows going to shell companies and then to the Biden family. We think there may be another era beyond the Biden family, and that would go to Joe Biden himself. And that's what people have told us. That's what the emails suggest. And that's what we're trying to determine now. And that's where our investigation's headed. And Marxist Fulton County DA Fanny Willis is set to present her case before a grand jury next week. Willis is part of the Marxist-dim party's orchestrated persecutions of President Trump, claiming Trump had no right to protest the crooked 2020 election in Georgia. It's also part of the plan to cover up the Democrat Party and Deep State's role in stealing that election, which is now clear as day. Willis is looking to bring a RICO case against the former president. A RICO case is for racketeer-influenced and corrupt organizations. It is more than unclear how Willis would be able to make that stand in a court of law, but at the same time, Marxist special counsel Jack Smith has charged President Trump with almost 40 absurd charges. Our guest today worked as a former national security advisor to Mike Pence for almost three years and has just come out to endorse President Trump, citing many flaws of Vice President Mike Pence He's with us today to tell us why he chose Trump over Pence for the 2024 nomination. Joining us is General Keith Kellogg, former national security advisor to Mike Pence, working closely with the president in his campaign and in the White House and the entire national security team. Keith, it's great to have you back with us here on The Great America Show.
4: I really appreciate you having me on
1: let's uh let's turn to the to all the stir uh that you've created in in political land when you endorse president trump uh and put together i th- i just think one of the most uh, eloquent uh, uh tributes uh, to the president's leadership that uh, that i've seen in this in this cycle uh, certainly uh, give us give us the background and and the reason that you felt compelled to do it
4: yeah, Lou. Well, you know, there's a lot of people um, in the land out there that think that because I was Vice President Mike Pence's National Security Advisor, was a Mike Pence guy, I reminded everybody that, you no, know, I've been with Donald J. Trump since 2015. I was there at the first, you know, campaign we started. I've always been with Donald J. Trump, you know, and when I had the opportunity, I think there was, what, 13 different candidates at the time running for the Republican nomination. There was only one guy that I really Liked when I started, sat down and talked with him. I really enjoyed it, and I got to know him personally, not just professionally. And 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 I've got a real a real like for for him, both again personally and professionally. So when you started seeing all the campaign stuff start to kick in right now, there were a lot of people saying, well, okay, you know, we see you on the news networks, on Fox News, and the Chiron says, National Security Advisor to Vice President Pence, and and I said, yeah, I just wanted to clear the battlefield up. I said, okay, let me just make it sure absolutely clear that there's one guy that I've always been with, one that I'm going to be with, and I want to make it very clear who I'm going to, you know, march down this path uh, in the political lane. Uh, for the next year, year and a half. So I, it's sort of like clearing the air. That's all I wanted to do. Boy, it really did clear the air. Like, okay, <laughs> it got it out there. But it, but it was, I was just an honest statement. I sat down and wrote it. Nobody asked me to do it. I just said, I just want to make sure that it's clear. So there's no questions. Because very honestly, Lou, there have been a couple other candidates out there, and I won't name them, but I picked up the phone. Their advisors who picked the phone and said, Hey, look, would you support us? Would you do this? And I said, You know, I just, I just want to put a, you know, a stake in the heart of everything and say, this is where I'm at. Leave me alone. I know where I want to be.
1: Well, your your loyalty to President Trump is commendable and I know heartfelt. Uh, I want to just share with the audience a couple of things that you said, a number of things. Uh, while President, and I'm quoting General Kellogg here, uh, while President Trump has consistently put America first, prioritizing our citizens, our economy and global standing, Pence's actions have often seemed more focused on political maneuvering and maintaining his image. That is not what Republican voters want. President Trump's dedication to the prosperity and security of the United States is unwavering, as is his vision for the future. I think that is just an extraordinary statement. It is clear. It is uh, powerful uh, and it is uh, it is absolutely what most of us uh, think about President Trump. Uh, Give us give us your thoughts on the background for that particular paragraph.
4: Yeah, you know, Lou. When I first started with, with Donald J. Trump, you know, went up to Trump Tower and we actually sat down and the first time I interviewed him. And by the way, when he hired me, I think the reason he hired me, he asked me how much it was going to cost him. And I said, nothing is going to be like pro bono, because I don't know if you're in like me, you don't like, you know, if I'm in like you, like me. And he said, you're hired. I said, I think he did it because I was cheap. Uh, you know, it was easy to, to do so. And, and, I, and I reminded a lot of people that, you know, what? My experience with donald j trump he 's really not a republican he 's really not a democrat he 's a populist and what I mean by that he's he 's taken the, declar- the, the the constitution and he 's looked at it and he said you know when he, you look at we the people and he's a he really does focus in on people and he 's not a political animal at all in fact a lot of he never even spent the night in washington d c until he he be you know be, became uh, an elected official um, he even never ran for any Public office before, so the, what I liked about him is he was somebody that said the most important thing about running for office is focusing on the American people and what's important for them, and it's not a political lane, it's not a Republican lane, it's not a Democratic lane, and he was really he was able to clear his, you know, clear his mind and really focus in, and a lot of people are politicians. And he's not that. Uh, I've really noticed that. Now, he's in the political lane now, but his instincts are absolutely incredible. And I, when I first started to know him, in fact, my daughter, you know, I, I wrote a book after I came out of the White House, but then I, my daughter said what she should have named it is Behind Closed Doors. Because I got to know him on a personal level and what he really wanted to do. Now, now I will tell you, when the Klieg likes came on, it was a different person. You know, first time I ever saw it, I said, who's that guy? Uh, but but that's what I wanted to make sure people understood, that this is he's a different type of person. Uh he 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 really does care for the American people. I gotta let me give you a real quick story in it. Um when I during the middle of Covid, we were sitting in the Oval Office and I was just talking to him, you know, it's kinda of a couple of guys sitting around talking and, and he looked at me and he goes, You know, I just want people to get better. And I said, stop right there. Let's go out and tell the press just what you said. He said, no, no, it can show weakness. <laughs> oh, God, here we go. But the, the point is, he really did care about the American people. And that's what I mean when it was almost, he really wasn't a politician. And I wanted to make sure people knew that because everybody else that was um, surrounded him in the White House that was of a political nature, and I mean everybody, they thought of the politics and they thought of policies. Um, how it affected either party, and he didn't. He just wanted to say, the first party I'm supporting is the American people, and I just that, that was my kind of way in a, in shorthand of saying that's what this guy is.
1: Yeah, it's it is who he is. I have had the good fortune to spend a little time with the president. I consider him a, a friend, and uh, and the greatest presidents are certainly uh, Abraham Lincoln, and I, I I can't find a single person. Uh, who would argue that he wasn't uh, absolutely honest with the American people about who and what he meant to do.
4: Yeah, I, well, absolutely. I mean, it was very clear. And you know, I would remind people, if you really want to know what Donald Trump is like, go back and read his books. Read his book, Crippled America, or read his book, Art of the Deal. Yeah, there's no secret to him. I mean, it's he said what he's going to do, he's been very open about it, and, and what he wants to do. And it, it's out there. He's very, He's been very, very consistent. Uh, from what he said years and years ago until uh you know what he the policies he's trying to um make work now and I really admired him, that admired him about in that regard because he was very consistent on what he did, and he stayed very, very steady with his policies, and I, and it was from international to domestic as well. And I mean, you can even go back and watch my newscasts when he was on certain news stations, being interviewed, and and he would always say the same thing. And I said, "Boy, I let, there's one thing you find with him." And I used that word before, it was consistency, and he's he's been there. And I think it's really an admirable trait that he's got. And it was able to, it it would have made it easy for people like me to realize where we were coming from on the national security sector, you know? And I'd remind everybody, You know, I say, look, first of all, it's transactional. You have to understand we go into anything with national security. And I said, what do you mean transactional? I said, what it means is what's good for America comes first. That's going to be the deal. And when these foreign leaders would come in and sit with him in the cabinet room, the first question out of his mouth was always, what's our trade balance, our trade deficit with you? And so he looked at the world from an economic view first. What's good for America? And oh, by the way, I I, I told people, in fact, I told the president this one time. I said, you know, there was a pretty good professor up at Yale called. His name is Professor Kennedy, and he wrote a book, Rise and Fall of the Great Powers from 1500 to the Day. And I said he was Paul Kennedy, and um, I said, you know. <laughs> it you, you, you seem, seems like you've read his book and he goes I don't even know who this guy is I said well bottom line he said great nations fall because of what's called strategic overreach he called it imperial overreach I called it strategic overreach and they said you just pay more money outside of the country than you do inter, in, inside of the country and he started laughing he said well I put some of that money at LaGuardia in the airport because the undercarriage of my airplane gets, keeps getting damaged every time I land there and I said well that's, a, that's kind of the whole attitude Kennedy's was you spend the money home you don't spend it abroad. And that was his kind of his philosophy, and again, as long as you understand Donald J. Trump's came from an economic baseline, what's good for America economically, and then extend it from there, you were in good shape. But if you didn't understand that, you didn't read the guy uh, at all. And you didn't understand his instincts, because he's been very, very, and this is the fourth time I've said it, he's very consistent in what he's done.
1: There is no doubt president trump is a man of constancy and strength uh and we're going to be talking more about trump and we're going to talk about a fellow named biden as well we're talking with general keith kellogg former national security advisor to uh president trump uh, and to vice president pence as well stay with us we're coming right back
2: ah
1: Back talking with General Keith Kellogg. Keith, I want to t- turn to uh, the the military appropriately, I would think. Uh, we, what I'm watching in the Pentagon is a complete unmitigated disaster. I just want to get that out of the way. Uh, I I cannot believe that the military has turned over uh, the value structure, the culture of our military. Uh, to transgender affirmation, uh, to wokeness, uh, to all of this politically correct madness, uh, and I think it's clearly at the expense of readiness and lethality uh, and just simple good old military, good military order. Your thoughts?
4: Yeah, you're you're probably Lou, honestly understating the problem. It's really pretty bad. And I think you see that in the fact that the, all the military services, except for the Marine Corps, cannot meet their recruiting goals and the, because people don't want to come into the military because they see the, where their military is going. Somebody actually, and I now, I have a daughter who served, I have a son who served, both of them went to West Point, and I have a son-in-law who's still in. And somebody asked me a question the other day, would you recommend young men and women join the military it's today? And I said, No. And it was a stunned silence. I said, look, the the role of the military is quite clear. It's to deter, and if deterrence fails, fight and win our nation's wars. It's not everything else that you're hearing about. And if you focus on something other than that, you're not going to get the great young men and women to come into the military that are going to be willing to put their lives on the line and, and stand at the, at the gates and, and repel the barbarians. And i it's it's all based off leadership. It's not the young men and women who've come in or are serving. It's the senior leaders that you have that have basically forgotten their way the the importance of the military and war fighting. And I think there's going to have to be a real restructure of leadership uh, in the next administration if they look at it hard. Let's say a Republican administration, on how they're going to have to restructure the Defense Department and how they approach the military, because I think they've lost their way. And everything emanates from the leadership, and it it just flows down. Uh, In my youngest son, who got out, he said, "Dad, let me give you an example. Uh, I spent. He spent nine months overseas." On our deployment to Lithuania with a major U.S. unit, he gets off the airplane after nine months and the first the first class. He has to to conduct the morning after they get back is on pronouns. And I said, "What? Let me get this one right." He said, "No, Dad. I'm telling you, this is just kind of the way it is." And he said, "He said I'm done with it." He said, "After eight years in the military, I loved it, but I'm going to do something different in life." And and because of that, it just is. To permeate the military, and, and we're going to have to take a hard look. And I go back to what George C. Marshall did in 1939, and also what Bob Gates tried to do um, in the, in the uh, 80s and 90s is basically do a restructure or purge. And I use that word; it's a strong word, and I use it advisedly. The senior military leadership and say until we get the right people there, you know people forget that when you get in the military you get promoted you you're promoted by merit up to two stars and after that when you're three and four stars you're politically select- selected individually and I think maybe we need to sit down and look really hard at who's leading our military and and the, their their thought process we've accepted the fact that we lost a 20 year war in Afghanistan there's been no accountability for that Lou nobody's ever talked about how did we get there how did it then what happened we talked about the a debacle three years ago on getting out of Kabul, and then you look at the same thing happening right now with the extension of what we're trying to do with Ukraine and the money we're spending there, and there's no accountability there. There's no end state. We haven't talked about that at all. And you look at the alliances. You look what's happening to China. I think it's really it's a long comment, but when you made those comments earlier about the military, I think you're kind of understating it. I think it's a lot worse than you think it is.
1: Well, I I think it's pretty bad when you go back to nineteen seventy one and, and the Pentagon Papers and to see uh, the absolute deceit of our our leaders. Uh, this this corrupt government of ours is not a new development. It is a continuation and a, and a worsening over over decades. Uh, and, and I salute you for having uh, the the personal courage to to assess the military as you see it and tell your children uh ex- exactly that i think m- millions of us feel the same way i i i just have to wonder uh where we're headed because we have lloyd austin secretary of defense we have uh you know, general milley mark milley i i mean these are embarrassments these two people are uh, to me are uh, you know I I I don't know what one can possibly say about what they've done in in less than 3 years to the US military and what this uh this administration. I don't for a minute by the way believe this is the Biden administration. I believe it's the Obama Biden administration uh because these are simply carry-throughs of what uh, was underway uh under President Obama. I think it's his third term.
4: Yeah, well, you know, I've got to here here's truth in advertising. You know, Lloyd Austin worked for me on two different occasions. One, He was one of my brigade commanders when I into the 82nd Airborne Division. And he was a young major for me. And I and I've had a chance to tell him and of course after Afghanistan I said very publicly that he should resign and I said I don't know what the heck happened to him I said you know I've got to say he's a totally different person in his way he's approached the world and he's approached it in a very very political manner that is a place where you don't want to approach it in a political matter you worry about how to fight our nation's wars and, and I think Mark Milley's the same way Mark Milley has become a very political animal I, I would have fired him. if I had known for example right at you know right in January uh, of 2020, when um, we, if it, that he was talking to the Chinese, he never told us about it. Uh, you know, on his own about you know, well, you know, don't worry about it. We've got control of the military. I would have fired him in a heartbeat. Um, and, and probably after Afghanistan, they both should have left. So, so again, it goes back to what I said earlier, Lou, about it's it's very important that people understand that that how the military is handled is from the very senior levels and they set the tone. The young men and women in uniform, they just execute the job that they're being given and what they're told what to do. But you know, you look at the, you know, and I blame the president because under Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution, he's the commander in chief and he sets the tone. And look, I'll give you a couple of examples. One is, I reminded everybody, you know, just recently there were some problems in, in Africa and we drew down the embassy there. You know, this administration, this current administration, they've pulled out of five different embassies. Our administration didn't pull out of a single one, even one oh, we no. had the threats. And you just look at it and you go, "This, is, these are your policies. This is how you operate. It's wrong. I'm sorry. It,
1: it, it really is. Five different embassies. We don't know who our friends are any longer because this administration seems hell-bent on making adversaries, if not enemies, out of every country uh, with which we had strong relationships. And I mean, whether it's Canada, whether it's Saudi Arabia, you name it, uh, this administration uh, is... uh, nothing about it seems to be multilateral other than its association with communist nations or other totalitarian nations. We're talking with General Keith Kellogg. We're coming right back in just a few moments. Stay with us. Okay,
0: picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: General, let's let's kind of hone in a little bit on what you're talking about with uh, Lloyd Austin, with Mark Milley. How is it that our our military academies are producing officers who would descend to the depths uh, uh, that these two have? And I know they're not unusual because I have gotten to know a few general officers who, frankly, I would never have dreamed had graduated uh, West Point. By the way i've talked to a number i've talked to two commandants uh, of west point and i've asked each the same question do you guys ever teach what happens when you make mistakes in strategy in tactics and lose battles and you know what the answer was general i don't know what you know your experience has been but they told me they don't why in the world would we not at least do that
4: yeah, you know, and it, it's a great question, Lou, and uh, and I, I think the, one of the first things i do is I wouldn't allow, I'd allow a military officer to spend most of the time is two years in Washington, D.C., and get him out of town. You know, it's a lot of these people spend time in Washington, D.C., that's number one. Number two is is it's all based on accountability, and we have, we've lost that ability to do until we went back to the generals in the Army, at least Gordon Sullivan, years ago. When we did the after action review and we looked at the loss of the first battles. He actually had a book come out, we, we required reading of everybody. And it was called First Battles and how we lost our we seem to have lost every first battle we ever fought in the US military. Uh and he and he said, look at that and you reflect on that. And I think we, it's a good thing to do to reflect on what you've done or haven't done. And that's the reason I've been so critical about Afghanistan, the fact that we have, we're we in there a 20-year war, thousands killed, thousands wounded, and we lose it, and then nobody's talking about it. It's almost like, well, we'll go to the next fight. No, you don't do that at all. And I think that there's some strong lessons learned, and I think there's been an, an officer corps that has grown up in Afghanistan, from Afghanistan, that forgot the lessons of how to fight and win our nation's wars. And you, you look back, I remember, you, I, you may not remember remember back when Colin Powell was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he stood next to Secretary of Defense Cheney when the Iraq uh, war first kicked off, when they had gone into Kuwait and we'd start offensive, and they said, well, what are you going to do with the Iraqi armies in and. Colin Powell said, We're going to go over it. We're going to go under it. We're going to go through it. And we're going to kill it. I said, Okay, I got that job. You know, I understand what he was getting at. And his point was, that was a, how you fight wars. And we've forgotten that, Lou. And, and we're going to have to pick that up. And, and, and I blame the senior officer corps forgetting how to do that. That's the reason I made up a comment earlier about what George C. Marshall did in '39, where he actually did a purge of the officer corps. And he, at that time, think of the numbers, he eliminated about 1,000 senior officers. And that's why Dwight D. Eisenhower went from 330th on the seniority list to about number 5. Uh, and I think that's going to have to be done. It's going to be a very hard sell. Congress would be upset about it, but I think you have to make a point that we need to change the culture of the United States military; that they need to focus on one thing: fighting and winning our nation's battles. If deterrence fails, and I, th- I don't think we're there, and it's a, I know it's a harsh statement, but boy, the consequences of that are not I'm going to be on my watch or on your watch, but they're going to be on my kids' watch and my grandkids' watch, and I don't want that to happen.
1: Yeah, the money that we are spending on the military right now, without oversight or consequence. For for performance and for effectiveness of the billions spent, uh, th- what we're doing in terms of the education of our officers and and creating uh, that uh, officer corps for the future, but we have uh, we had a military. The United States Army adopts as doctrine this idiotic David Petraeus nonsense, the Long War doctrine. It was a doctrine. It, it was a rationalization that became a doctrine, a- and my. God, I just cannot to this day understand how we can have these protracted conflicts because of uh, pseudo intellectual idiots posing as uh, something other than a, a United States general officer.
4: Well, it goes back to what I said earlier. You know, that comes out of this thing with Afghanistan. That's where the book was: Iraq and Afghanistan. You don't fight long wars; you try to fight short wars, for, 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 because of the the consequences of those wars, which are enormous when it comes to the personnel cost, not money. I'm talking about the cost of lives and limbs. Right. And, and you try to eliminate and eliminate your adversary as rapidly as you can. And that's the reason I was said about Persian decor. You need to say, okay, we need to find out who these gunfighters are that we want to have men and women, and they're out there. That we want to have leading our troops with a, with a total change of attitude, and and it, and you hope, to, for example, getting your recruiting numbers up as well, because now people are saying, I don't know if we want to join the military, I don't want to do that. And then there's really no plan when you think about it. If you look at the national security strategy, it's just there's nothing there. They, they talk about diversity, and they talk about climate change, but they don't fight, they don't talk about winning our nation's wars. You know, there's one thing. A little quick story on that is, I'll show you with President Trump when when um, the, uh, the Iraqi pro-military forces, from you know, were basically supported by Iran, tried to take our embassy on New Year's Day. I guess it was nineteen. Uh, let's see, 20, 2019. You know, I remember him picking up the phone and calling Mark Milley, and I was in the Oval when he when he did it, and he said you know, we are not losing our embassy. Do you understand that?" And then it was like, okay, I got that one. And his point was, you come up with a military way to make sure that we hold on to the embassy and we're not retreating from it at all. And that's one thing. And then you carry that on to what we do with Soleimani. When he went after Soleimani, it was very clear Soleimani had killed Americans. The third ranking leader in Iran, the leader of the Quds Force. And the, the, President Trump didn't blink. I mean, this guy was responsible for nearly storming our embassy in Baghdad. And he basically said, take them out. And we did. Um, but that's the difference of leadership. And it caused, Not only is it leadership, Lou, but it causes respect throughout the world because people say, okay, they're really serious about it. If you're going to take on the United States of America, be prepared to fight. And a lot of them won't do that. Yeah.
1: A lot of them won't do that. And one of them who won't do that is, of course, uh, President Obama, uh, who uh, is without question. Uh, he he lost Crimea. No one wants to talk about that. He's trying to, to give away more billions of dollars through Biden uh, and his regime to Iran, uh, despite the fact that we're at the same time trying to arm ships with uh, uh, our weaponry and our Marines uh, in the Persian Gulf. Uh, this is madness on its face, and we don't hear a single peep. Uh, from the so-called uh, bright thinkers of academia in geopolitics and history and governance uh, in in just plain uh, common sense, one understands these conflicts within and contradictions within the administration. Uh, General, there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, it's a troubling time, a perilous time. Uh, if you will, we always give our guests the, the last word here on The Great America Show, General, as you well know. And uh, if you will now, your concluding thoughts.
4: Yeah. Well, first of all, Lou, thanks for having me on today. And look, I think what you're saying it echoes what a lot of Americans are thinking. They just don't know how to express it or trying to figure out what the issues are and what the problems are. And I think they're enormous. And I think this election coming up is going to be very, very important for the American people because this path we're on right now is a very, very bad path when it comes down to national security. And if if you keep making mistakes like this, you end up fighting a major war. And we are right on the precipice of doing something stupid because wars are fought by accident, and the accident is if the other side thinks you're vulnerable, or that you won't fight, then they will continue to take strong actions, and you look at somebody like the Russians, or you look at the Chinese, or even in the Middle East with the Iranians of them developing a nuclear weapon, it changes the whole dynamic of the world, and we're not ready for that right now, and we have to get ready for that, so I'm hoping that the American people take a deep breath and don't worry about somebody's as the presidential candidates, maybe don't listen to the rhetoric, look at their policies, because that's what really makes the difference.
1: Their policies and their results. General, it has been absolutely terrific talking with you. I've enjoyed our conversation immensely, and I hope you'll come back soon. Uh, And thank you for your insight, your knowledge, uh, and all of your service to this great nation.
4: Thanks, Lou. Thanks for having me.
1: General Keith Kellogg, a great American. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. Tomorrow, our guest is author, journalist, and good friend Lee Smith. He says the years of cover-ups by the Marxist Dems rest with one man. Barack Obama, join us tomorrow and each and every weekday. Follow me on Twitter and Truth Social at Lou Dobbs on Facebook and Instagram at Lou Dobbs tonight. Be sure to check us out at loudobs.com. Join us tomorrow for The Great America Show. Thanks, God bless you, and God
2: bless America.